Welcome to episode 28 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated fire industry. My name is Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Fire Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Fire Safety Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 25th, 26th and 27th of April 2023. Fire Safety Matters is once again serving as the lead media partner for the exhibition. To register for the show, visit www.firesafetyevent.com. As always, I'm joined on the Fire Safety Matters podcast by my colleague Mark Sennett, the CEO at Western Business Media. Morning, Mark. How's things with you at the moment? I'm great, thanks, Brian. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thank you, Mark. We just obviously just passed for press on the November edition of the magazine. That's already available to view for readers on the website. It's 76 pages, packed with information as usual. We've covered tool buildings, competency and wise technology. There's also a review of the recent Fire Safety Matters Digital Conference, which was excellent, Mark, and you chaired it really well. Well, you know, you can now watch the uh, Fire Safety Matters Digital Conference by, and it's free, going to fsmdigitalconference.com. But listen, I don't expect you to remember that, everybody. Just put into Google or your search engine Fire Safety Matters Digital Conference and up we pop. And you can watch all of the sessions for free on there, including address from the building safety regulator. So I would strongly encourage you to do so. But you're right, it's been a, a really busy period and we're back podcasting, which I'm thrilled that we are. And of course, we did the biggest ever FIA guard, the Fire Industry Association guard that's out, which you can obviously look at on our website as well. We'll talk about that a little bit later because we've got some other stuff to say about that in a bit. But yeah, there's a there's a lot going on. We, you know, we've announced a Fire Safety Matters in-person conference that's going to take place on the 15th of June. You can't register for that yet. We'll be opening that up in about March time and it will be free to attend. And and we've obviously opened the awards up again for entries of Fire and Security Matters Awards. And we'll come back to that. But, you know, as always, you can see all the latest news, prosecutions, products and services on our website, which is fsmatters.com. And you can go there to sign up to get copies of Fire Safety Matters or the FIA Guide for free. You can sign up to our weekly newsletter for free on there. You can see all of our past webinars and upcoming webinars on there. Well, all completely free. And, of course, you get CPD, self-elected CPD from IFSM just from reading the magazine. Of course, you get CPD certificates for going to the digital conference or the webinars. So please do go to our website, fsmatters.com. And if you can't remember that, just put into a search engine, Fire Safety Matters. So as always... We start the podcast with some news. And Brian's up first. What's the first news story you want to cover, Brian? Well, it's something you mentioned, Mark. There's lots of news around at the moment to do with the government, and obviously the Building Safety Act and various other items around that regulation. And this one, in fact, is about the Building Safety Act. Uh, There's nothing in the Building Safety Act for building services contractors to fear. That's according to a senior spokesperson for the Health and Safety Executive, uh, Neil Hope Collins, uh, delegates at the Chartered Institution of Building Services Engineers' recent Build to Perform conference and accompanying exhibition to embrace the new building safety laws that came into force in April and further take advantage of the legal powers they afford to specialist contractors. Hope Collins admitted it was, and I quote, absolutely shocking and hugely disappointing that many firms have made no attempt to prepare for the new safety regime. Some still wrongly believe the Building Safety Act only covers high-risk buildings, Mark, which he believes has created complacency. Many are also afraid to study the details, but if they did, they would find that it largely mirrors the construction, design and management regulations, which of course have been in place for some time now. Hope Collins, who served as HM Inspector of Health and Safety for 22 years now, went on to state, and I quote, it's old measures in a new package, but the emphasis is on being able to properly demonstrate what you should already be doing. The duty holder roles are the same as they are in the construction design and management regulations, while the golden thread is not new information. It's what is golden to you and what's needed to keep both the building and the people within it safe, both now and into the future. Hope Collins stressed the implications are massive because the Office of the New Building Safety Regulator, created by the Act and managed by the HSE, of course, will eventually impose a new safety culture on the whole of the built environment. That said, Hope Collins does not envisage a cliff edge whereby the requirements would be enforced uniformly on every project. Rather, there'll be a gradual transition, Mark. The planning application process will be more stringent, while more detailed design information will be required at an earlier stage. But Hope Collins said this is purpose designed to reduce problems later in a given project by front-loading the investment of time and money, such that will ultimately render projects cheaper to deliver. He goes on to state, there are some new things in the competence frameworks, but much of that is about being able to prove that people understand their role. It also reflects the fact that, in most cases, responsibility lies with organisations, the corporate bodies, so it's not just about training for skills. You must be able to demonstrate organisational competence. While there's a legal obligation on clients to ensure all works covered by the building regulations are properly planned, managed and monitored, Hope Collins also pointed out the fact that contractors are required to refuse to start work until such time that they're satisfied the client is aware of its own duties. 
The bill to perform debate was chaired by City Board Member and Trustee Vince Arnold, who said the Building Safety Act is designed to change the way in which people behave. For their part, engineers will be legally mandated to put up their hands and call out problems they see, and not just in their own area of the project. Arnold continued, it will no longer be possible to say my bit works fine. We are part of a team and we're legally obliged to report anything we find that doesn't look or seem right. We will have the legal backing to say no. What's your take on this one, Mark? Yeah, there's quite a bit to digest there. And, and I'd encourage everyone to take a look at our website and look at the article in full. And yeah, go to fsmatters.com for that and put in the search box at the top. Building Safety Act Massive will be the sh shortest way to uh, find it. Because the actual headline for it is Building Safety Act Massive, but not new, asserts HSC spokesperson. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's good news the Building Safety Act's coming in. There's still things that people need to understand, which obviously Hope Collins has highlighted during this conversation but I'd like to add a little bit more to it if I can Brian and that, and that comes from Graham Fox who's the technical director of the Building Engineering Services Association which is BESA for short and he believes these measures cannot come fast enough and they'll actually be welcomed by most building service contractors who've grown frustrated by the failure of individuals to act on their concerns so Graham Fox says at Grenfell Tower, people working on the refurbishment project seemingly chose not to flag up problems they saw, said Fox, who was actually a member of the uh, Build to Perform expert panel. And he went on to say, and this allegedly led to disaster that came out clearly during the public inquiry. He went on to say, we have come across this scenario repeatedly. It's particularly glaring around the fire damper inspections where failures have been discovered, but the information is not then passed on to avoid upsetting the client or incurring extra costs. The Building Safety Act means that contractors are legally bound to report problems and the client must be able to demonstrate how they acted on that information. This is long overdue. And that's something I'd completely agree with Graham Fox on, by the way. Um, Furthermore, ventilation contractor Nathan Woods informed the session that enforcing this element of legislation would be extremely important. So Nathan Woods said, we invest, sorry, when invested in a commercial relationship, it's sometimes very difficult to be critical of your client. But that conversation becomes easier if the legal position is clear and is backed up by enforcement. Uh, for reference, Nathan Woods is the chair of the BSA's Health and Wellbeing in Buildings Group. But... I think just to finish this off, Brian, just bring back Hope Collins, and, and, and she's concluded by outlining that secondary legislation was being prepared that would create the framework for mandatory occurrence reports. Contractors can then use these documents to highlight issues that could lead to a serious incident in the future. Clients will have to demonstrate how they acted on this information and delivered in these reports. So I think those those last few comments are, are, are really, really key, and there's a pretty strong words in there on, on the back of obviously Grenfell Tower being the example there and, and I'd echo as I said what what Graham Fox said but I'd encourage you to, to read the article on our website as I said go to fsmatters.com and of course all you need to do is use the search box and just use the term Building Safety Act Massive and you will find it but Brian if I may I'd like to move on to our next news story and this story um, is a little bit different it's uh titled Insurer Zurich Issues Warning Over Dramatic Spike in Warehouse Fires, something we've covered quite a bit on Fire Safety Matters over the year. And I think when you talk about major fires, Brian, I, I think it's a well-known statistic, certainly we know it, that over two-thirds of buildings like these that suffer a major fire, these businesses never recover from it. So in this article, we really talk about warehouse fires and sprinklers so let, let's get into that so insurers uk is calling for compulsory sprinkler installation in warehouses as retailers hit their busiest time of year according to research and analysis conducted by the insurer the number of warehouse and bulk storage fires has soared by a quarter that's 26 percent between 2021 and 2022 there were 322 blazes of this kind over that period according to home office data compared to just 256 in the previous 12-month period. The number of accidental fires climbed by 21%, up from 228 to 276, while somewhat more worrying, the number of deliberate fires increased by almost two-thirds. That's up from 64%, and that is from 28 instances to 46 instances. 
So the e-commerce boom of recent years has driven demand for increased warehousing space. However, a lack of new builds has forced developers to look at older buildings, which themselves have posed a greater risk of fire. And I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, in the first half of this year, demand for sites of over 100,000 feet was up by 25% on the five-year average. That's according to JLL. Meanwhile... Intensified demand for same and next day deliveries has led to an increase in smaller last minute warehouses located close to urban centres. I, I can say that in terms of uh, a very well known delivery uh, website uh, <laughs> where I live in Banbury. Uh, in addition, the demand for taller and larger big box style warehouses with more tightly packed goods has also risen. So despite the increased risk of the 3,400 blazes attended by fire crews between 2010 and 2021, half, that's 49% in fact, did not have uh, fire alarms, and that's, that's unacceptable. And just over 6% benefited from the installation of sprinkler systems. So, you know, Brian, there's plenty more to say on this. You know, Zurich is renewing its call for automatic sprinkler protection to be made compulsory in all new warehouses over 2,000 square metres. At present, government guidance only recommends sprinklers in warehouses of 20,000 square metres. This contrasts with the situation in Europe, where sprinklers um, are required on sites uh, as small as 800 metres squared. I mean, there is so much more to say on this. This is a topic, you know, Brian, that I've, I've, seen and been involved with a lot i i have worked closely when i was editor of this publication with organizations like the british sprinklers alliance and bafsa and people like this when i worked at the fire protection association i actually went to a test site brian they have there up at blockley and they recreated a a live fire it was a recreation of quite a well-known fire at a let's call it a toilet roll manufacturing uh, facility and it showed what would happen if sprinklers had been installed in that facility you know that that particular incident brian burned the entire building down it brought the m1 i think it was to a standstill um with a huge plume of smoke that came out there and i actually sat through a recreation of this in full breathing at firefighter breathing apparatus and visibility went to zero i couldn't see my hand a few inches in front of my face very very quickly in the in the first instance you know it was a terrifying experience it was controlled obviously um but then they recreated the incident if sprinklers had been present and it extinguished the blaze and you know we couldn't hear at fire matters be more of an advocate for sprinklers it's just, again, we say this to a bit, it's just common sense. And and there is need for more and more warehouse spaces. Yes, yes, they are existing premises being needing retrofitting because, you know, new buildings you, you could and hopefully should commission from stand at the start. But I would completely agree with Zurich over this. Just compare, Brian, what I said there. The the difference between us and Europe. Some buildings of 800 square metres, right, have got sprinklers in. Here, it's not mandated um, or recommended, I should say, for anything more of 20,000 square metres. And this figure of 2,000 has long been a figure banded around that people want us to move towards. And it's good to see Zurich pushing this back into the public domain again. Completely agree with it because sprinklers, if properly installed, properly maintained in many situations, can trigger early activations, put out the fire or certainly dampen it down before the fire and rescue service comes and can stop total loss of premises and that is not only critical for property protection but life safety too and of course i'm pretty sure this will positively affect premiums if you have sprinkler systems in place so a lot to digest there but my point on it from my soapbox here brian um having been through tests like this uh, i passionately feel it's absolutely right it should be <laughs> At worst, 2,000 metres squares to have this. Uh, Brian, I think you've probably got some more you want to add to that. Well, yes, I have, Mark. First of all, I concur with what you said. And obviously, we follow regularly the Business Sprinkler Alliance website, for example, and we retweet and, and repurpose stories from them on a regular basis. We're very much behind this. And of course, you can extend the argument you talked about into the new build schools domain. Obviously, there's a clarion call now going on from the BSA and other organisations for mandated sprinkler systems in new build schools. Another debate for another day, perhaps, but very much along those lines. Now, back to this current story, a spokesperson for the London Fire Brigade has commented, and I quote, the benefits of sprinklers to businesses are clear. We would urge all companies to install them. As well as being potentially life-saving devices, as you said, Mark, sprinklers and other fire suppression systems help with business continuity by minimising disruption and allowing businesses to return to normal as soon as possible, again, as you referenced there, Mark. 
Jurek's call to action comes at a time of high inflation, of course, when businesses and organisations are more likely to have gaps in their insurance cover. Increases to material and labour costs mean that rebuilding, fire damage, warehouses and replacing lost stock may now exceed the amount covered by their insur owners' insurance policies. This means that, in effect, in the event of a blaze, their payout may not be enough to cover all of the damages. As a direct result, Zurich is urging firms to double-check their policies in order to ensure they have the correct amount of cover in place. But Charles Bush of Zurich concluded, Mark, often the issue of underinsurance only becomes apparent once the worst has already happened. With the busy Christmas period now fast approaching, it's essential that firms check they have the right cover in place to protect themselves. The cost of doing so will be minuscule compared to the potential shortfall if they're underinsured. Zurich's also issued some timely advice for companies' markets, worth bearing this in mind. Ask your broker to review your policy to ensure it will still be adequate in the event of a claim. Ensure that your business interruption insurance is fit for purpose, taking into account any supply chain disruptions that may affect a, build, a rebuild or repairs. Bear in mind that business interruption indemnity periods are commonly found to be inadequate, which can mean claims payments cease before a customer has had the chance to recover. An effective business continuity plan can make a big difference to the size of losses, as well as the firm's ability to continue trading. By having plans in place to minimise loss and recover more quickly, companies can actively reduce the risk of underinsurance. Further, many businesses hold higher levels of stock during busier times of the year, like now, for example. To avoid underinsurance, sums insured should always be set at the maximum potential value that could then be held at any one time. Finally, Mark, index-linked policies are not immune to underinsurance. Index-linking works on a countrywide average and cannot account for the wide range of factors particular to each claim. Index-linking should, therefore, not be used as a substitute for thorough annual reviews and regular professional evaluations. That's the end of that story, Mark, so back to you now. Yeah, so, Brian, it's at this point where you tell us who our first guest is on the podcast. Our first guest on this edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast appears on every episode. Warren Spencer is the Managing Director of Blackhurst Bud Solicitors. He specialises in criminal and civil litigations, and in particular in relation to fire safety cases. Warren is an accredited higher courts advocate, enabling him to work as an advocate in the Crown Court. He boasts experience gained from working on over 200 cases under the current fire safety legislation, including prosecutions realised on behalf of numerous fire and rescue services. Previously, Warren has been shortlisted for the Private Practice Solicitor of the Year category that runs as part of the annual Law Society Excellence Awards. On this episode of the Fire Safety Matters podcast, Warren chats with Mark about the changes in legislation to be realised in the new year. Morning, Warren. Great to be back with you. How are you? Morning, Mark. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, all good, all good. Been a while since we sat down with the podcast, but you've had a busy uh, last part of the year, and, and and so have I. But, you know, re really keen to talk to you ahead of Christmas 2022 when we're recording this, because there's going to be some changes to the fire safety sector in terms of regulation coming in in early 2023. So from a legislation point of view, can you tell us how that's going to affect you and, and what the changes are? Yeah, the, the, there are two aspects to it now. Um, there's the regulations that are going to be changed, um, the general fire safety regulations, which come in January 20th, I think 23rd of January 23, um, and um, and they, they will affect the industry significantly. They, they are more pertinent to uh, fire safety experts and, and to get their head around what the regulations required. Uh, they're not so important to me um, as, a, as a lawyer. Uh, many people often ask me about various um, sections of um, acts uh, so, or, or regulations and, and things. And, and, I, and I say, look, I'm not a fire safety expert. I'm a fire safety lawyer. I'm more concerned with the overall legislation. But of course, that will be affected as well in that um, the fire safety order will be fairly significantly amended by the Building Safety Act um, that the, the aspect of the Building Safety Act, which will amend the fire safety order, is not yet in force, uh, but I understand it will be in force in early 23. Um, and there are going to be some significant changes to the fire safety order. The, the Fire Safety Act 21 kind of clarified the fire safety order, but the Building Safety Act will amend it quite significantly. So obviously this is a period of change in the legislative landscape, um, but we were talking off air a little bit about common see fire risk assessors how are these changes going to affect that area in terms of competency of fire risk assessors well i think it's probably one of the most significant changes um since the order came in uh, because 
it's a, it's a different subject entirely, but the, the order when it came in and, and was drafted 2004-2005 was, was about everybody being able to do their own risk assessment and it was about deregulation and like, you know removing red tape. So the order was designed so that anybody could um, do their own risk assessment and that's why there were so many guidance documents. Obviously, the government got a bit more scared about that and come 2011, 2012, when they brought in the competency uh, aspects to fire successes. But under the Building Safety Act, the fire safety order will be amended uh, to say, and I can quote, is that the responsible person must not appoint a person to assist them with making or reviewing an assessment under Article 9 unless that person is competent. And so that, that removes that kind of uh, deregulation, brings in strict uh, rules about who can and who can't do a risk assessment. Still, it will be, as, as far as I understand it, that it, there is no formal requirement for any kind of accreditation. Um, but uh, there's been a working party set by the government to detail what competency look like, looks like. That, that will be coming out, as I understand it, in the next few weeks. Um, and... Clearly, if a fire risk assessment, and it, oh, you always, from an enforcement point of view, start with the negative. You always start with uh, a fire risk assessment, which is deemed not to be suitable and sufficient, and then then it works backwards. Well, who's done it and why isn't it suitable and sufficient? Are, if it isn't, are they competent? Um, and so, you know, I, I've dealt with prosecutions where I've had fire risk assessors who have accreditations and have got the BAFE registration and IFE registration, etc. Um, but the, the, they will still take them to court. I think in the future, this competency requirement will help those people because they can say, well, look, you know, I am a competent risk assessor and this is now recognised. At the moment, they can't say that. But of course, the reverse is true. If you haven't got any kind of accreditation or training or experience, um, then that, that, that's going to be a problem to persuade a court that you knew what you were doing. So I think there's going to be a whole lot more regulation around who can and who can't do uh, risk assessments. The other aspects, uh, you're going to have to record risk assessments, which at the moment they don't have to be written unless in certain circumstances. Um, and, and, and the other big changes are to Article 22, which is about the sharing of information, cooperation and coordination uh, with parties who have fire safety management responsibilities in premises. And I, I, it is an article that I've used for a long time um, because clearly what I my view of it is that people shouldn't be able to hide behind um, either the corporate veil of companies or, you know, passing on responsibility to others, which the courts don't like. And Article 22 says everybody's got to cooperate, coordinate to make sure premises are safe. There's going to be two big significant um, amendments to Article 22. One will be, relate to high-risk buildings uh, and one will relate to general buildings. But it, it, again, it is tightening the net now on uh, regulation around um, management of buildings where there are a number of people who have fire risk management responsibilities. So as we look ahead to the new year, Warren, obviously we've got a fun and important thing planned in February. For those that don't know, uh, Warren will be delivering a mock trial on Valentine's Day at Manchester Central. That's the old GMEX at Safety, Health and Wellbeing Live. You can just throw into Google or a search engine, Safety, Health and Wellbeing Live and you can attend for free, register for free, and Warren will be doing a fire safety mock trial on there. Now, it's not the first time Warren and I have uh, partnered up to do this. Um, I think I have at least twice, Warren, uh, been the defence... Uh, oh, actually, you've been prosecuting me in this, and I've been the defendant, I think, of at least uh, <laughs> twice. So the next one's on the 14th of uh, February 2023, as I said, at Manchester Central. So just a quick overview on this. I don't want to really give away the topic, etc. They can obviously find out more on SHW Live website for that. But why do you find these things useful if you're an audience member, Warren? Because they're very interactive. Because, of course, the audience is, of course, the uh, the jury in it, isn't it? We throw it out to them to a, uh, a verdict of guilty or not guilty. And it's based on a, a real-life uh, prosecution normally, isn't it? So why do you think people enjoy these so much? And, and what's the takeaways from them? For me, I think what people see is the rules of the game as far as enforcement's concerned and, and prosecutions and, and, and the court procedures. We, we can all put um, articles online, which I frequently do, about cases, and, and, and then everybody gives their opinion about 
what what should have been the case, what shouldn't have been the case, and whether or not it was the right result and things like that. I think what the mock trial does is it brings home to everybody that um, there are rules about these things and, and they have to be uh, kept to and we have to ab- abide by them. And, and, the, and it focuses everybody's mind on the subtleties and nuances of the evidence um, rather than a kind of broad opinion about, right, people who do, do this should be punished in this way and, and things like that. There's usually two sides to a story. And, and and I think that's what happens in the mock trial. Is people get to see the, the two sides of the story and get to, to make a make a decision based upon on what they've heard. Um, whereas very often someone's found guilty and gets um, gets a sentence, then there are a lot of assumptions about that. Um, if they're found not guilty, then there are a lot of assumptions about that. And you tend to only get the side that wins. But whereas the mock trial, I think, gives everybody uh, a flavour of, of, of the nuances of, of bringing enforcement proceedings to the court procedures. Yeah, they're always the busiest session at these kind of events. I think my record is 1-1, one, one, lost one as a defendant so far. So this will be the uh, the, deci- the deciding case, I would say. We well, got... I always feel sorry for you, Mark, because I think you've got a guilty face. So. <laughs> that I do. I seem to remember you telling me I was full of crap, so I was a perfect defendant for these with my lack of preparation for one of them. So I'm very much looking forward to locking horns with you again. I would use phraseology like that, Mark. <laughs> so I'm also looking forward to finding out if you're actually prosecuting me or whether it's James uh, prosecuting to me we want to find out close to the time but but definitely come along to Manchester Central on the 14th of February where else would you want to be on Valentine's Day rather than watching me and Warren argue in a mock courtroom so Warren just closing as we always do if people want to find out more about you or get in touch with Blackhurst Bud how can they do so yep there's I'm on LinkedIn uh, there is um, a fire safety uh, fire safety law in the UK group on LinkedIn and a lot of discussion with uh, articles on there. There's the fire safety law website where there's a lot of articles written by me as, as far as my cases and my understanding of the legislation. Uh, I'm at Blackers but Solicitors, easy to find online. Brilliant. Well, Warren, thanks for that. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, seeing you face to face in February, but I'm sure we'll be back preparing. I'm thinking, Mark, there can't be anything less romantic than fire safety and law. Well, my, my other half, she is threatening to come up to uh, that. So we should perhaps make her uh, watch the mock trial before I take her out for dinner. Oh, well. <laughs> Whatever role play you get up to marks your business. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us again, Warren. It's been far too long and we're looking back to, forward to getting back to normal now. Cheers, Mark. Returning to the news now, and proposals for how developers would pay to fix unsafe buildings have been set out by the government as the Conservative Party at Westminster moves a step closer to imposing its new building safety levy. The government has now begun consulting developers and other interested parties on the plans, which will see an estimated £3 billion collected over the next decade. Under the proposals drawn up by the Department for Levelling Up, Housing and Communities, developers of residential buildings, regardless of building height, will have to pay the building safety levy contribution as part of the building control process. In real terms, this will mean that unless the building safety levy is paid, a developer could not move on to the next stage of the building process, which may then lead to project delays being realised and result in future revenues being negatively impacted. Lee Rowley, who is the Minister for Local Government and Building Safety, has explained, and I quote, We have been clear that developers must pay to fix building safety issues and the building safety levy is an important part of making that a reality. The government's consultation will afford industry and local authorities alike an opportunity to work with us going forward. Rowley continued, by having these plans in place, we can ensure that all leaseholders are protected, regardless of whether a developer has pledged to remediate or not. The government's proposals include an option to alter building safety levy rates, depending on where in the country the building is located, with lower rates pertaining in those areas where land and house prices are less expensive. It also suggests that local authorities will be best placed to act as the collection agents, as they have the necessary systems, data, knowledge and relationships in place with the development sector. In order to protect the supply of affordable homes, it's proposed that they be exempt from the building safety levy charge. This is alongside a number of community buildings, including NHS facilities, children's homes and refuges, among them those set aside for the victims of domestic abuse. The building safety levy will be reviewed on a regular basis, such that it can be adjusted to take account of changing circumstances, for example, wider economic conditions. There are also plans afoot to protect SMEs by excluding smaller projects. The building safety levy will run alongside the developer pledges announced earlier this year. Under the pledges, 49 of the UK's biggest home builders have committed to fix life-critical fire safety-related defects on buildings over 11 metres in height 
where they had a role in developing those buildings in the last 30 years. This amounts to a commitment of at least £2 billion, Mark. What's your take on this one? Well, I think this is a really interesting um, scenario of tough love, really, and it's something that I completely support on it. You know, um, they're obviously trying to collect an estimated three billion over the next decade, but effectively, you cut to the core of this, Brian. What it's saying is these unsafe buildings need to be remediated, so it's not a cost on, you know, the building occupant or the taxpayer. Um, in order to let construction firms go on to their next project, which is where their next meal ticket is, where the next next revenue and profits coming from, that I completely support because these buildings need to be put into a safe condition, and we don't want to pay for it as taxpayers, that's for sure, because we've got a big enough economic uh, situation to deal with in this country at the moment, um, and of course, people in buildings, tenants are not going to want to have to, or you know. I'd say tenants, I would say, you know, people that actually purchased um, properties in, in these uh, buildings will not want to have to pay for something when they've already paid the purchase prices by the building. They expect the building to be safe. So I do completely agree with um, this tact on doing it. And, and hopefully it does raise the uh, $3 billion over that decade that's that's needed. Um but if we go on, just add a little bit more then. The building safety levy was first announced in February of last year and plans to extend it to cover all residential buildings were confirmed back in April. The building safety levy is one of the ways in which the government will ensure that the burden of paying for historic fixes um, for building safety defects does not fall on the shoulders of leaseholders and taxpayers, as we've just discussed. The consultation seeks views on the delivery of the building safety levy, including how it will work, what the rates will be, who must pay, what sanction enforcements will apply, and who's going to be responsible for collecting the building safety levy monies. The consultation is open for 10 weeks, starting from the 22nd of November 2022, and seeks the views of all interested parties, particularly so developers of all sizes, building control professionals and local authorities. All respondents' views will be taken into account before any final decisions are made by the government next year. So I would urge any of the relevant parties to take place in this consultation. I hope something like this goes through. It will be interesting, as that says, of who's going to collect the money and be responsible for that. But as a concept, I completely agree with the building safety levy. People have a right to know they live in homes they purchased that are safe. And that shouldn't be put on them, that burden of remedial fixes that need to be done. And it certainly shouldn't be put on the taxpayer. So please do take part uh, in the consultation. You can find all the information about this story by going to our website, fsmatters.com, and the search box, just type imposition of building safety levy and you can find out all the information that you need there so brian i want to have our last uh, news story and in a, on a real positive and something that we're immensely proud of many of you will have read last year's fire industry association guide which um you edit and we put together um you know we put together for the, the fia is effectively the fifth issue of uh, fire safety matters of course and that came out last year. The new one's just come out. So I'd encourage you to go to our website, fsmatters.com. But we were honoured to be shortlisted for an award at the uh, at the at our industry awards, the, the PPA Independent Publishers Awards for Commercial Partnership of the Year for the FIA Guide for our partnership with the FIA. And we went one step better. And I'm thrilled and honoured to announce that we actually won that award. And huge congratulations to you, Brian and to Leanne, Danny, Alex, everyone that worked on that guide. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's well, you know, it was obviously Zoe that designed it last year and Alex has designed it this year. But it, it was a fantastic concept. You know, it's something we're very proud of. It's a real reference tool for a whole year, Brian. And, and the feedback we've had from you, the listeners and readers on it has been really, really positive with over 80% of you saying in a survey that it was a really useful tool to help you do your job. So I'd encourage you to look at the latest one, but it's something we're very proud of. And this year's guide is even bigger. I think, Brian, you'll you're tell me uh, exactly how much bigger. I think it's about 12 pages bigger. It's over 100 pages this year. It's the biggest magazine the sector's printed i think in in a generation to be honest in terms of size so huge congratulations to you you know when we launched this magazine six years ago we never dreamed that we'd be shortlisted for i think about eight awards now and then obviously you brought this one home and you know hugely proud of you and, and this for me is a real testament to 
our readers, um, you listening, uh, and to our supporters in terms of advertisers, you've embraced this guide. You gave feedback, said it was useful. You said you wanted it. Without readers, we don't have a product, Brian. You know, you engage with this. And of course, without the people advertising in it, and, um, you know, it did have a record amount of advertising for the fire sector publications in there. Um, we don't, we aren't able to do it for free. We just, without that relationship between the reader and the advertiser, and, and the products are very relevant to everyone listening, and, and that's why they engage with them, we, we, we don't have a publication like this. So this win is really, for you guys, the, the listeners and the readers, and, and for our for our clients, thank you so much for supporting us. And, and now, you know, we've got recognition for our brand. And I say our, as in all of us, you know, the readers, the advertisers and us putting it together um, that, you know, we create something really, really special. So Brian, I'm sure you'll have something to say on it. And just congratulations to you. It's really great news. Thank you very much, Mark. Yes, I do. I mean, producing the FI guide to the UK fire safety industry for 2021-2022 was a huge undertaking. And many months in the making, in fact. Our initial discussions between ourselves and the FIA took place in late February 2021, not that long ago now, with a 92-page FIA guide passing the press the 20th of December last year, so almost around about this time, really. As editor of the publication, I'm extremely proud that this fantastic document of record was adjudged to be the best in class in the Commercial Partnership of the Year category. It was, and is, in my view, a genuine partnership effort, Mark. Now, on that note, I'd like to thank my colleagues at Western Business Media, namely yourself, Mark, of course, and also Leanne Velez, who managed all of our commercial partnerships for the guide, Danny Kosifu, who took care of production so well, and as you mentioned, Zoe Tarrant, who designed the guide brilliantly. Similarly, I must sincerely thank Ian Moore and the tremendous team at the FIA, including Alan Richardson, Ryan Brazil, Chris Tilley, Robert Philthorpe, Neil Budd, Will Lloyd and Michael Gregg, a cast of thousands there, for their considerable input on this project. It was invaluable, Mark. We really value our partnership with the FIA. In my view, it's a vitally important one for both parties, Mark. A gentle reminder that anyone who has yet to be the FIA Guide to the UK Fire Safety Industry for 2021-2022 can do so online by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website at www.fsmatters.com and accessing the digital archive. And as you mentioned, Mark, the 2022-2023 guide is 108 pages and available to view now on our website at www.fsmatters.com and the printed editions will be available very shortly. Yeah, and I would really echo... We're so grateful and we really value our partnership with the Fire Industry Association. I wanted you to say that first and now I can talk about it. Huge thank you to Ian Moore, the CEO over there, for trusting us to do this. You know, we've got a great, great partnership with the FIA and it doesn't just include this guide. It also includes the Fire and Security Matters Awards, which I'm going to mention again in a moment. But they trust us to do this. It was a true partnership and it was fantastic to have Ian Moore with us and uh, say there was a little bit of celebrating when we... Uh, further we won would be a little bit of an understatement um but you know it was a great moment and you know something we're, we're very very proud of and you know for me you know i launched this magazine six years ago now i'm i'm recording this podcast on the three-year anniversary of us buying the business danny keith and i western business media so this was just such a, a welcome um and, and lovely thing to see you know it's great you know the effort that you guys have put in the fi put in to see it rewarded independently by our peers there's no no greater feeling than that and that's what i want to talk about last as we conclude here is getting acknowledgement from your peers and how much it means. We talked about our partnership with the FIA and I just mentioned to you the Fire and Security Matters Awards. They are open for entries again. We partner with the FIA for that. We've got so much industry backing from uh, for these awards. Um, it, it's untrue. You know, you've got so many people like... Um, on the, on, the, on the fire side, rather than just the security side, you've got National Security Inspectorate, you've got SCIB, Institute of Fire Safety Managers in there as well that are supporting it. And of course, BAFE also supporting it. And that's just on the fire side. And, you know, we're very grateful to our headline sponsor, ACO, of course. But these these awards, last year we launched them, Brian. And it shows just how loyal and engaged you, the listeners, are. We, we had over 220 entries which whittled down to a shortlist of about 100 um, from our judges. Brian and I don't pick these. The independent judges do. It's people like Ian Moore or Dave White or Bob Doherty, etc. that are involved in this, or Alex Carmichael. And, you know, it ended up having 450 people come to an awards dinner in April 
this year, which uh, I think was a talk of the industry of, of how great the networking was and, and how much fun everybody had. We said Alice McGowan as the host. And, and we were just opening entries again. And please do enter. It only takes a few minutes to enter. Put into a search engine. Fire and Security Matters Awards will come up. If you want the web address, it's firesecurityawards.com. And this is the perfect way to get yourself, a colleague, a team, a product, your organization, a client recognized um, for the fantastic and important work you do in keeping people safe. Now, I'm not going to go through the security categories because that's for the Security Matters podcast to go over that Brian hosts and do check out the Security Matters podcast uh, if you can. But the categories that you guys listening can enter is Fire Safety Manufacturer of the Year, which is um, sponsored by NCAB Group, the Fire Safety Installation Company of the Year, that's sponsored by Apollo Fire Detectors. Fire Safety Manager of the Year. Many of you will be interested in that. Sponsored by TO Fire Safety. The Fire Safety Team of the Year. Another great one that you guys should all enter. Sponsored by EMS. There's the Fire Safety Project of the Year. And that's such an easy one to talk about. Just think about projects you work with with clients um, or internally to improve fire safety Um anywhere in premises or of people fire safety innovation of the year is a product-based award and fire safety campaign of the year is is a new category that we've um, brought in there and one that you know that that could be a marketing campaign or it could actually just be a campaign for improving fire safety so that's sponsored by uptick then there's another new category sponsored by ffe and this is fire industry woman of the year and this is something that you know we're very very proud of that we really do support more and more diversity in the fire sector as a whole. And we do want women in the sector to get recognised. We want to see more women coming into the sector. And, it, you know, and that is a growing thing, but we should celebrate and we should be proud to celebrate, you know, some of the great achievements that women are doing in the sector. Now, those women should also be entering Fire Safety Manager of the Year or Fire Safety Team of the Year because there's no discrimination on that. But we wanted, and we worked with FFE, close to their core values too, about really wanting to promote inclusion and diversity in the workforce. So please, if, if you're a lady and you work in a sector or you know someone that deserves it, enter them into the fire industry woman of the year category. So you can enter yourself, you can enter colleagues, you can do, enter teams. It just takes a few minutes. Please do enter. And and honestly, if you make the shortlist, that's fantastic PR for you. You know, when, when we got shortlisted with the FIA Guard and FSM and other categories of awards, I'm proud just to be shortlisted. Winning, you know, oh, unbelievable when, when we won. But actually, just getting that recognition of your peers that you've done something special and recognising the role that all of you do to keep people and property safe deserves being recognised. So please do enter. The awards do itself will be on the 15th of June in the Coventry Building Society Arena. In the daytime, we'll be having that Fire Safety Matters live conference. But that's not for now. Um, entries, you can enter until the 31st of March, 2023. It's free to do so. Please, please do enter. Go to firesecurityawards.com. And if you can't remember that, all you need to do is put fire and security matters awards into a search engine and up it pops so brian um why don't you tell us uh, who our final guest on this episode of the podcast is our second guest on this edition of the fire safety matters podcast is colin smith field product manager for the uk life safety division at eton colin is a member of the engineering council a graduate of the institution of fire engineers and also a member of the institute of engineering and technology colin has worked for eton across the last four years Prior to that, he held roles with Comlet, Drax Services, Sterling Safety Systems and Wagner. In his present role with Eaton, Colin is responsible for the ownership, development and marketing of the company's fire alarm and emergency lighting platforms here in the UK. On this edition of the podcast, Colin chats with Mark about new products for 2023 and also touches on the key issue of cybersecurity for life safety systems. Hi, Colin. How are you? Yeah, really well, Mark. Yourself? Yeah, good. Good. We've been meaning to do this for a while. I think we've got a lot to catch up on to do with uh, Eaton. And also through that you're going to be doing a very lengthy article for us in the next edition of Fire Safety Matters that comes out in March. But the point, as you know, Colin, of this part of the podcast is really to tell our audience more about different technology, different products, 
different organizations are out there providing solutions that they need. And I'm very familiar with Eaton's products. I've been to many facilities across the UK and, and I'm sure many listening are too. But as you know, this audience can be fire safety managers, risk assessors, consultants, insurers. But I want to try and use this time to tell them a bit more about Eaton. So some may know its history about Eaton, but can you explain a bit more about Eaton and its history for our listeners? Yes, certainly. I mean, Eaton's got a a strong heritage in the electrical industry. Um, It's got a huge portfolio, but it's built on decades of experience. I mean, many household names um, such as Cooper, Memvia, Scantronic, JSB, Fullian. Um, So it's really come a long way um, to, to where we are today. And, you know, that's that's a great legacy. But let's talk about what's new. You know, somebody will be listening to this just before Christmas in 2022. But what's going to be next for 2023? Because I doubt you're going to get anything out just before Christmas. One wouldn't imagine. No, unfortunately, Santa's not bringing any um, gifts just yet, yet to us. But, um, yeah, certainly into next year, we've got a, a lot of really exciting things coming out. Um, so, you know, from the Scantronic legacy, we've got um, the new Ion kits, um, which are bringing um, some real raft of technology to the industry. We've got some really exciting um, connectivity coming up, which can't quite talk about yet, but um, we'll certainly be excited to release later on this year. Um, we've got Scantronic Secure Radio, which is really going to push the boundaries for the security industry, um, which we're really excited to be showcasing soon. Um, on the emergency lighting front, again, we've had seen some huge developments on our adaptive emergency lighting, the evacuation systems. Um, Dual Guard's a phenomenal system, which will really be pushing the boundaries for the emergency lighting industry. Um, and on the fire and um, life safety systems, um, our EVCS MX-16, um, again, has, uh, has done some phenomenal things this year. We've got some really fantastic projects out there. Um, we've got a new market release coming out, which again is going to um, add some real nice features, um, adaptability for things like um, disabled toilet systems. And I suppose finally, um, we're really pleased to sort of launch X-Detect, which is our new fire platform um, this year as well. So, um, you know, a lot of really exciting things happening in the um, life safety division this year. Just a quick question I've got for you on emergency lighting. Um, and that's something that you're going to be talking for for me at the fire safety event, um, funnily enough, in April. Where would you say are the, the the biggest client sector for you for emergency lighting? Is it hospitals? Is it tall buildings? Is it warehousing? Where, where, where would you say, for people listening now, going, oh, I might be interested in emergency lighting. Which particular sectors are you targeting with that range? Pretty much every sector you just picked up on. I mean, adaptive emergency lighting is is really um, opening a lot of eyes in a lot of areas. Um, you know, hospitals in particular, with their sort of strategic evacuation plans, usually horizontally, um, you know, has opened up their eyes for, you know, how can they safely evacuate people? So with the adaptive emergency lighting system, you know, it gives us, um, you know, the clients a very unique um, opportunity to actually safely manage their evacuation plans, um, especially in public areas. So exactly as you pointed out, um, high rise, any areas of public um, you know, movement, really. Well, I definitely thought I knew what you would say there because I did know the products, but I wanted everybody else to to hear it too. But you, you said about some really interesting releases there. You know, there's, you've got a lot going on, but you, know, you mentioned cybersecurity in that. Is is that a big issue? Because I know you're also going to talk for me about that at the fire safety event as well. Uh, is that a big issue? Yeah, cybersecurity is massive at the moment, and it's certainly something that we're embedding into every platform um, for everything next year, really, across fire security and emergency lighting. Um, I mean, there's some sort of fantastic statistics out there. Um, I mean, Kaspersky did a, um, a report into it that uh, in 2019, um, over four in um, every ten buildings actually were cyber attacked, which which is a phenomenal statistic um, with some very very high profile household names, um, which probably don't need advertising. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the likes of Google, I think was probably the biggest one yeah. that were um, were actually attacked through, I believe, a BMS system. So. Um, it's really at the fore, and I think you know there's there's a lot of people talking about remote diagnostics, dialing into systems, um, engineer remote access, and obviously these are great features, you know, and we're all looking at these as well. But I think we've also got to look around the Internet of Technology, you know, Internet of Things, IoT is a very big talking topic at the moment, and you know we've also got to remember that 
you know, we are working with life safety systems. These are fundamental to life and building protection. And, you know, what do we do to obviously enhance the security around these systems to enable engineers to dial in remotely, to allow facilities managers and building owners to interrogate their systems remotely, but yet still, you know, keep these systems secure. You know, um, it's very easy to put these things on a network, but we need to, you know, obviously make sure that, you know, we don't um, interrupt the integrity of the building I think I think that is what I hear quite a bit from from readers is, is you know that there's so much impressive technology out there that the concern is that you know it, it can be hacked etc and I know you know it's great to see Eaton have really been out in front of that in terms of making sure security is at the forefront and I know that will reassure a lot of people that are interested in in these systems so the question I've got for you on your new systems is when and where can we expect to see these new systems obviously 2023 sounds pretty busy for you guys yeah, it's certainly going to be very busy. Um, I mean, we're obviously very proud to be um, a key sponsor of the fire and safety event. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to inviting everyone down um, on the 25th to the 27th of April to the NEC, where we'll be showcasing all these products. And you'll obviously be able to meet all our um, emergency lighting, security and uh, fire teams. Um, we will be on the um, speaking theatres as well, um, looking to educate and speak to as many customers as possible and, um, you know, get the message out there on these key points. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anyone who goes to the fire safety event, you will indeed uh, see two different sessions that uh, each and a part of. It's worth noting it's free to attend. Just go to firesafetyevent.com, register up, and you will get a CPD certificate for attending those sessions. And I'd certainly encourage you to go onto the Eaton stand. It will be very hard to miss it. There's plenty on it. But some people can't wait till then. And I'd hope that now we've talked a bit more about the systems, they'll want to get in touch with you and find out a bit more. What's the easiest way to get in touch with Eaton or yourself if they want to find out more? information um best place is probably just to jump on eaton.com um obviously our social media channels we are on linkedin facebook um, and twitter um or you can obviously reach out to me directly but yeah i mean colin is on linkedin um you will find him on there just search his name and eaton and up he pops um colin well thank you for joining it's been great to catch up and i'm very much looking forward to seeing your article the next edition of fsm definitely yes look forward to seeing you again soon mark brings us to the end of this latest edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Warren Spencer of Blackhurst Bud Solicitors and also Colin Smith from Eton for their excellent contributions. You can read more on the issues raised in this edition of the podcast and others by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website. The web address you need to access is www.fsmatters.com. We do hope you've enjoyed the content delivered in the podcast and found it informative. Please do contact us if there are any particular themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag FSMpodcast. On that note, do make sure you follow us on Twitter at FSMatters underscore MAG and also access our LinkedIn page at Fire Safety Matters magazine and website. Please do like and share the content of our regular podcasts and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. All you need to do is enter the term Fire Safety Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you again in 2023. In the meantime, the team at Fire Safety Matters would like to wish all of our readers, contributors and commercial partners a very Merry Christmas and a happy and prosperous New Year. (laughs) 